Welcome back, everybody, to Pop Pop the Pop Culture Podcast. I am the LA Nerd, Joel Reeves, and always with me is Taylor Salem. Hey, yo, how's it going? Sabotage your plan there when you went for a sip of beer, Taylor. Almost. Taylor Almost. Taylor was trying to get in a little pre-word to the intro, and he uh, he went for a sip of beer, and I started recording. <laughs> well, we always we always bullshit a little bit before we record, and and you know. Me personally, I'm a fan of recording all that stuff just because it's good little like outtakes and little bits, little bits of gold you can find in there. Taylor, that means I would have to edit it, and you know I'm not yeah, going to do mean, that. That's like two, two, two. That's not. That's like thirty seconds to a minute. Like it's not hard to find the. Sounds the like a lot of work there. to me. Yeah, it's probably too much work. Roll those sweet smooth jams. Waka waka. So, as you can tell by the title, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, sorry, I'm high as fuck right now. No, it's 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 <laughs> it's, it's it's okay. It's Once Upon a Time dot 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 in Hollywood. In Hollywood. So you got to have the pause between yeah. the in Hollywood. I think uh, just for just for listeners, I think this is the only time I've ever recorded stoned. Yeah, Joel has actually made a point not to. So this is a. This I generally a, don't smoke before I have to do things that I need to pay attention to. Yeah, but this is a little bit of an exception because this is like a. It's well, it's a garage garage episode two point garage episode garage episode. We are sh- <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, Taylor, you watched uh, a television show on Amazon Prime. I did. the uh, The boys premiered this week, of course. A show we. Yo, you seen any soups? I saw some soups. You saw some soups? I actually literally just started watching it last night, and I'm five episodes in already. And you saw some soups? I saw some soups. So that tells you how good the show is. I mean, the first, yeah. the first, the pilot was... I wasn't familiar with the property before the show, so I was kind of going in a little bit blind. Um, and I'd heard amazing things, and the, the first episode really doesn't disappoint. I mean, the first five to ten minutes, the first act of... Of uh, well, I guess if you're talking TV lingo, the first two acts of of the episode, um, really there were some shocking moments. Like the first twenty minutes, there's some really unexpected stuff that happens, and it really sets the tone nicely yeah. for the show. My friend Bernie says every episode has a what the fuck moment. It really does. Yeah, every 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 episode has. It's very compelling. You know, I've heard people compare it to. Uh, people are saying it's you know this generation's Watchmen or an updated version. Oh of, wow, uh, a razor sharp satire like pretty Watchmen. bold saying when there's a Watchmen coming out. Absolutely, and so I, I mean this. I obviously haven't finished it, but this this series is is really awesome. I don't want to get into spoilers, obviously, because Joel hasn't seen it yet. I have not, and we'll, I'm sure we'll end up talking about it because oh, there's, absolutely, there's some really good stuff in here. And I will say that the the first episode was directed by my boy Dan Trachtenberg, hey. who's slated to direct the Uncharted movie currently. Boo. And he does a really awesome job in the first episode. Simon Pegg is in the show. Did you know that? I did not. Simon Pegg is in the show, and he does a very American accent, and it's very Good for him. different. I shot, uh, so Amazon did kind of like their D23 um, at a hotel in Pasadena. Yeah. And actually, now that I've watched a bunch of Amazon properties, they love to use it as a location as well. Yeah. So they must have some kind of stake in, in the hotel itself. Probably. Anyway, shot some kind of trade show shit for Amazon uh, six months ago. 
oh, you know what? It was Valentine's Day. Yeah. yeah so like in February, um, and we interviewed the entire cast of the boys, and they all seemed very. Very charismatic. Everybody seemed very likable. Yeah. They seemed like so, they enjoyed working with each other. Did you interview Jack Quaid? Yeah, he was there. He was a goddamn dead ringer for his father. Randy, yeah, or I not know. Randy Quaid. <laughs> Fucking, uh, 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 you can get there. Come on. God damn it. Dennis Quaid. Thank you. Thank you. Good old, You're good welcome. Old, good old Dennis Quaid of G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra fame. They all seem to have a great time working with each other, so I That's can only cool. imagine how that translates Jack, onto the screen. Jack Quaid is is really really good in the show, man. I was surprised. So I think the first thing I've seen him in, and 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 uh, he's a really good uh, uh, character yeah. actor for the lead. So let me ask you this: uh, like you said, let's not get into spoilers, but yeah. l- l- let me ask you this at least: uh, their their Comic Con present uh, presence was very anti soups, right? Um, yeah. When we did the interviews, we interviewed the soups first and then the boys after. Mm-hmm. Is there a 50-50 kind of narrative split there, or is it mostly anti-soups? No, I would say it's def- you definitely follow the soups. There's the, I would say there's there's one of there's a 50-50 split. Okay. So Jack Qu- Quaid is the anti-soups. He kind of gets drawn into it. Yeah, yeah. And Carl Urban's kind of the leader of that, right? Yeah, uh, his character from the comics, at least from from what I'm aware. Again, I, I, the whole story hasn't been revealed yet, but uh, and then you have the um, the girl, the main girl. Um, she's dressed in white. I can't remember her name. It's like Star Girl or Flash Girl or something. Star and Starlight. Starlight. Yes, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure that's it. Yeah, it is. And you, <laughs> I know you know, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and you also follow her. So it's kind of like a fifty fifty split where you okay. see the 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 hero side of it and then you sort of see the anti soup side. Right, of it. right. Cool. But uh she's in a very interesting she's put in a very interesting predicament in the first episode that kind of informs her arc throughout. So I think it's a really um fascinating way to look at both sides of that. But we'll dig into it more as we go on. But as uh, I watch it, yeah. What have you been watching, Joel? Before I get into that, I just want to say I don't think Amazon has put out anything uh bad. Um I I've thoroughly enjoyed even Sneaky Pete. Um to be fair, I haven't watched a lot of Amazon original shows. They're all pretty fucking They've solid. Some really good documentaries that I've seen, but I've I still haven't watched Man in High Castle. Still haven't watched Marvelous Miss uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Still haven't watched Fleabag, which I know I've what heard. What the fuck is wrong? I with know, you? I know, I have it, and it's it's complicated. But I'm trying to get to all that stuff, so I'm I'm catching up on my Amazonness. But uh, but yeah, The Boys is impressive. Great, I love it, man. I'm excited to fucking watch it myself. Yeah. I finally jumped on that Euphoria train, um, and it's fucking intense, I've been bro. hearing excellent things about that as well. One of the best shows of, of 2019 so far, from what I've heard. 100%. And, and who who makes Euphoria again? What, what, uh, HBO. HBO, okay, that's right. Uh, someone who recommended the show to me was like, hey, uh, okay, first of all, let me... Let me premise with the fact that, like, I have mental health issues. Yeah. Um, I struggled with addiction in high school and whatnot. Yeah. Some say I might drink too much still to this day. Yeah. Um, yeah we, a, we all have our own ways of dealing with Yeah. With it. But so the friend that recommended the show to me was like, hey, man, just so you know, like, trigger warning for, like, mental health and addiction issues. And in my head, I was like, I ain't no bitch. You know what I mean? Like, I've seen Rec Room for a Dream. Yeah. I'm fine. Uh, dude, shit hits 
heavy. Yeah. Like, I didn't associate with a lot of the things in Requiem for a Dream. That's probably why it didn't affect me very much. Like, yeah, I'm not a heroin that. addict. I can, I can see that. Yeah, you know what I've I mean? never like, done heroin either. I'm not so a heroin it's... addict who needs, like, rent money, like, yeah. today. Yeah. Uh, so Go sell your mom's TV and shit. Yeah, so I was like, you know what? I'm I'm fine. Yeah, I'm not hanging out with one of the Waynes brothers. Um, but this show... The would-be Robin from <laughs> yeah. Joel Schumacher's oh. would-be Robin. Don't even get me Actually, started, Actually, it was Robin. Burton's would-be Robin, then Schumacher's would-be Robin, then he got recast and made $5 million for doing nothing. Yep. Sorry, weird anecdote. Um, the f- Just the first 10 minutes of the fucking... of the first episode, I was like, oh, this is a lot for me. Um, a lot of what Zendaya's character goes through... Um, emotionally with like her mental illness really fucking hits home yeah and it's it's rough but it's got it touches on a lot of amazing subjects man one of the lead characters is a trans girl um hunter schaefer i think her name is um killing it apparently she's just a model um and that generally doesn't translate well i okay i mean brad pitt i guess but Mark Wahlberg as well, I guess. Okay, you know what? A lot of times it doesn't no, work. You just, just, Sometimes she's it does. Pulling, she's pulling a Cara Delevingne. Yeah. Well, like, she's not really. I think the, she does better than Cara Delevingne. She's. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Idiot. Or I guess not pulling a Cara Delevingne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of amazing um, subjects in the show, man. From addiction to like first love to losing your virginity to um, statutory rape. Uh, violence. Uh, so it's a lot of subjects, man. I will ask you this: You don't think that's like too much for the show? Like, it does it does it integrate all those things nicely? Because like sometimes shows bite off a little bit more than they can chew. You know what I mean? Each no, I don't think it does because it's not like they're following one character for each of those subjects. Okay, a lot of characters are going through multiple of those subjects Got at the same time. You. Okay, so they're dealing with like okay, yeah, yeah. That's what you're saying. And look, like honestly, it's a lot of. Uh, your fucking wedding ring, man. I know. I'm sorry. I fucked that up. Sorry, listeners. It's uh, it's honestly a lot of what I went through in high school, man. Like, uh, there's a character who's is like it a. Dr- set, is it uh, set in high school? They're in high school, yeah. Uh, okay. Um, I did not know that. It's like there's a character who's like uh like a wannabe drug dealer, and he kind of gets in over his head with like these real drug dealers, and I was like, fuck, man, I did that once in high school. Like, you know, there's like. You know, maybe the average church-going high schooler isn't going to be able to relate to a lot of this. But I think a lot of us millennials kind of grew up jaded. The, what do you call it, the Adderall generation and whatnot, right? Yeah. I think a lot of us people our age are going to be able to relate to to the show very, very well. Even if you aren't addicted to drugs like Zendaya is in the show... um, Again, there's a lot of problems for everybody. Yeah, one of I mean, addiction the, comes in many forms. You know. Yeah, it's but it's n- it's like not even just about addiction. Like one of the leads is like a like a teenage girl who's like slightly overweight, and she's and she like is really self conscious about her body, and yeah. then she learns that like there are dudes on the internet who will like pay you to be mean to them, and she becomes like a dominatrix and becomes comfortable in her own skin and like. Like becomes like the hot bad bitch that she is. Um, the hot bad bitch that she yeah, is. Yeah, and like That's awesome. it's like a lot of different problems that like regular people fucking go through. Um, it is a That's lot. Good. It is a lot. I I will repeat the trigger warning. You know what? Like it again. Like I said, like I ain't no bitch. Like I'm not like that sensitive. Um, <sighs> it was a lot at first. I was like, oh fuck, this is 
pretty heavy. Yeah. But you know, it's all fake. So yeah, I, you, you know. like you 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 also I'm sure at a certain point become like no. a little bit more sensitized to it or right. whatever. Yeah, know, yeah. That's a good way to put it. But I knew that. But but I do know that there are a, a lot of people out there who appreciate the trigger warning. Uh, who may have got who have may have gone through yeah more intense. Uh, the things in their lives. Um, no, that's that's good because yeah. I I you know I'd heard amazing things like I said about the show, but I didn't realize it was that intense. So yeah, I think there's trigger warnings definitely for domestic violence, drug use, and sexual abuse. Interesting. Okay. Um, wow. Just so, just it's if you're thinking of watching it, those are your trigger warnings. Uh, but yeah, aside from that, highly highly recommend it. It's a great fucking show. Bust out your bottles of wine and prepare to cry. And Zendaya kills it, dude. Yeah, yeah, she's really she's having really a good. she's having a wonderful year so far. Yeah, really breaking out in a big way. Honestly, there's not a character in the show that I dislike. Honestly, they're all they they all do great. Besides Zendaya, is anybody um, famous? Like, not really. It's it's mostly unknowns then. That I know of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I well, don't good. recognize that's anybody. Good. Else. I love shows where yeah. you discover new new personalities and new faces. You know. Yeah. Good stuff, dude. Yeah, man. I guess moving on to trailers then. Yeah. On that depressing note. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm high. So. It's okay. Drink to that. Cheers, bro. I'll drink Cheers. to that. Cheers. Hopefully the mics caught that. That, uh, that have that you was seen? a nice bottle clink. That Eric Andre meme where he's like, bro, you're too fucked up to take another shot. And he's like, cheers. I'll drink to that. <laughs> <laughs> Love that meme. Uh, sounds like many people at Comic-Con last weekend. <sighs> too many people at Comic-Con last people. weekend, bro. I'm still recovering from Comic-Con, dude. I I'm sure the audience probably doesn't know this because if you do, that'd be weird. No, but we talked about that last episode. Well, no, just what happened this week. Like, I finally crashed. I was doing fine. And then, like, Thursday, I was, I just, I f it finally hit me Thursday. And I just couldn't, I, had, I was dead. And, like, I even texted you last night. I was like, I was like, oh, yeah, we should go see the movie on Friday, not tomorrow night. And you're like, dude, tomorrow is Friday. And I was just like, damn, I'm fucking so I need to rest. <laughs> yeah, and it took you like fucking twelve hours to fucking respond to my text message. I know, dude. I was like I said, I was out of it, man. I was like in and out, fucking sleeping, and just like uh, it was just. I was like, "Yo, bitch, we seen this fucking I took, movie." Like, I took like three naps, dude. You know, you know, you know. I'm. I know. I'm fucking there for it. Well, we were there for it, so. Yeah, the movie saw today. Yeah. Well, yeah, we saw a trailer but, before but the movie. Before today. the movie, exactly. We saw we saw a new a new Taika uh, Waititi movie. Taika Waititi joint. So you hadn't seen the trailer prior to watching it in theaters, correct, Joel? I had not. What did you think of it? Going in blind, that is. It was weird. Really? But Taika Waititi's weird. Yeah. So I'm not mad about do it. You, do you feel like it was like the movie's weird or it's just the way the trailer was cut? Cause the trailer no, the movie's is, definitely going to be weird. Well, of course. But like the trailer is a little bit... Um, it's a good trailer, I think, but it's also kind of like if you don't know anything about the movie, it's a lot of information to take in in like a minute or a minute and a half, you know? I like think it just presents a lot of stuff. I think that we're going to like it. I think general audiences are going to absolutely hate it. Really? Because uh, there was a few people. There was du two dudes behind me in the movie, and when this trailer played, they were busting up, especially when the knife goes in the in the dude's leg. Like, people were cracking up for that. Yeah, I don't know but how. Hitler, but then Hitler comes exactly. On the I don't know how well people are going to handle Hitler. Um, again, I love Taika Waititi. He's a weird ass dude, and I'm all here for that kind of humor. Yeah, but I don't know how well it's going to do in the box office. 
I don't think it was ever meant to be a box office hit. I think it's kind of just like it's 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 you know for you know that famous adage one for them, one for me. This is the the one for him, and Thor four is the one for that you know for for the studio system, so to speak. What was the one he did about the fat kid in the wilderness? Boy. Bo- no, it, it, it was, was just, called Boy. It was just called Boy. It's called Boy. Huh. I haven't seen oh wait, no, 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 no! Hunt for the Wilder People. Yeah, Hunt for the Wilder Boy People. Boy was the was the first movie he did. Then Hunt for the Wilder. Well, That's no, no. the one I'm talking about. He did. Uh, he did what we do in the shadows. Then Hunt for the Wilder People. Yeah, yeah. And then of course Thor Ragnarok. The great Thor Ragnarok. Yes, the wonderful Thor Ragnarok. I'm actually working on a retrospective for that today, so it's you are. It's interesting that we're talking about YTD. I guess we might as well talk about the quick, uh, like a little news bit we're on that tip. Yeah, the amazing news is that Shang-Chi and Thor Love and Thunder are both going to shoot in Australia. Yeah. Wow. It's a big bit of news. Huge news. It's exciting, though, because because Thor Love and Thunder is revealed today. They revealed that the start date is March 2020. So that's actually there. That's nine months away, meaning they've already, they're already in pre-production, which is kind of surprising considering like a month ago we didn't even know this movie existed. You know I don't I mean? think it's surprising knowing who Taika is. I think he's probably been in pre-production for this movie for like a thousand years. Probably, but the fact that Marvel was able to hide it, for, like the fact that we had no idea, like it's just, it's awesome. And I mean, you say that, but it did leak before the panel happened. Yeah, but even then, a month ago, we didn't, that was only a week before the panel happened. Like before that, nobody knew this movie even existed, you know? Hey man, snitches get stitches. I think it's. I think Marvel's really batting down the hatches. That's for sure. Yeah, dude, absolutely. Um, I will say that that it's interesting though because Love and Thunder, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, is the final Phase Four movie, meaning that everything before Love and Thunder has to start shooting before then. Meaning that we're going to be seeing a lot of set photos. We're going to be. That's not necessarily true if their production is just longer. That's true. And they have more visual effects work. Like Falcon and Winter Soldier, I imagine, won't have as much visual effects work because it's a little bit more grounded and realistic. As opposed to WandaVision, which will probably have tons of 100% effects work. 100% effects work. You know work. what I mean? So I mean, you know, I think like, uh, I think Chris pushed to shoot the movie there so he could spend more time with his family. Well, it was, so it the was, shooting schedule probably isn't, you know, gruesome. Totally. So they're going to probably take a lot of time off, I would assume. Yeah, it probably. I don't I mean, think they, everything so has are, time to shoot before that. They have about these these Marvel movies, they take about 6 months of production to 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 complete. So it's usually about, you know, between 80 and 120 days depending. I mean, if it's if it's Infinity War and Endgame, that's a different story, but, you know, on average, that's about what it is. So. Look, is Hawkeye out yet? No. Fuck. But it could start sh- it could start shooting in the next 6 months for all we know. That's all I want to know is if Hawkeye's out yet. But that also means if the, all those movies start shooting before then that means we're also going to get casting news. We're going to find out who Kate Bishop is. Yes. You know what I mean? We're going to find out who um who uh is going to be playing potentially Nightmare in Doctor Strange. You know like all those Ooh. questions are going to start to Joaquin start Phoenix. to be answered. So I think the biggest thing about this for me is is saying that okay, we're going to learn a lot more quick uh sooner rather than later about phase four i uh, yeah i'm not i mean fuck yeah let's do it let's yeah. do it right now yeah let's call up kevin feige right now and fucking ask him dude you know what I, with all these retrospectives i've been writing i would love to like interview kevin feige and just ask him about some of these productions that they've done you know not the ones they're doing now but the ones in the past yeah just learn more inside baseball about marvel because if you haven't uh if you haven't ever learned about the tumultuous productions that marvel marvel has put on in the past it's been quite the wild ride and if you want to read more about it you can read my mcu retrospective series at superherohype.com but regardless of that put your boner away i know i'm sorry um regardless of that we also got another new trailer 
that did not play in front of our movie, but but that probably should have because it's a Sony release. I don't know why that trailer didn't play, but what yeah, was it, Joel? Yeah, so I was excited. So the trailer came out what yesterday. I saw it while I was on. I believe s- so. Saw it while I was on set, and I was like, "Man, I can't, I can't, I can't watch this right now." And then I just forgot to watch it when I got home, so I watched it today. But so that's like a good twenty-four hours of buildup. I'm like excited to watch this trailer. Yeah. It is the trailer for Zombieland 2 Double Tap. Zombieland Double Tap officially. Love, no in there. love the name. Yeah. Love the name. That's not true. When the Zombieland name comes out, it's over the big two oh, does sign. it? Oh, I didn't notice yeah, that. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the trailer didn't really sell me on anything. Right? It, was it a little... I, I felt a little bit disappointed. I mean, Under, not, I'm going to watch it. I don't feel... I didn't feel disappointed pointed by it but i felt underwhelmed if that make if that difference makes sense to i anybody. i i didn't laugh once right okay but that doesn't mean i'm not gonna laugh during the movie no but it kind of felt like more of the same i think the trailer is weird too it's cut really oddly because it kind of paints this like you okay over there oh yeah no i was just kind of catch, catching my breath it i also have cotton mouth right now too so that's part of it are you stoned on marijuana um i Fifth, F-I-F, <laughs> fifth, plead the fifth. I'm just kidding. Uh, yes, I am. I, I have definitely been smoking marijuana, obviously. But, um, you know, the trailer kind of paints itself like like super serious at the beginning. It's like Oscar winner, you know. Uh, no, I, lo- I fucking love that part. No, I think, but it kind of, like, I, I imagine there would be a punchline, and then it kind of just, like, there's no punchline, and it goes straight into the trailer, and then the tone, like, never quite recovers from that. Yeah. And so for me, tonally, I don't know what this movie is. You know what I mean? The trailer didn't... It's a comedy. Well, yeah, but, like, Zombieland had a specific co- tone, and I feel like this is different The biggest Zombieland. The biggest fucking post-apocalyptic trope that they're fucking falling into is that... Jesse Eisenberg and Emma Stone have this great relationship, and then there's a new blonde girl, and he like told her the rules, and yeah. and Emma Stone is jealous. Like that's the oldest fucking post-apocalyptic yeah. joke in the book. Yeah, I'm fucking like that it's is like not the what was that a uh, what was that mo- a show with Will Forte? Uh, Last, Last Man, Man on, on Earth. Earth. Yeah. yeah, I mean shit. I was expecting a lot more from the trailer, but hey, first trailer, man. Yeah. It's a little bit of a little can't bit be any worse than that. It can't be any worse than that sweet Zombieland pilot TV show we got. God, I fucking forgot about that, dude. I I mentioned that to people on set Holy yesterday. Shit. Everyone else forgot about it too. Yeah, man, that's that's. It was bad. It can't be that bad. It was um, the saving grace I think for this trailer was the very end scene where uh, Tallahassee meets Luke Wilson. And everyone's like, are you guys not seeing that these are the same people? Yeah. And then yeah. fucking Thomas Middleditch comes yeah. out, and he's Jesse Eisenberg's She's counterpart. Like, what the hell? It, dude. It's pretty good. Bringing Thomas Middleditch in to play yeah. opposite Jesse Eisenberg, I think, is a fucking great choice. It really is. I it hope. Really is. I hope that's early on in the movie. Yeah, right. And we exactly. get them for the for the whole time. Totally. And I like it's funny because Shaun of the Dead kind of did that too in that scene where they meet their doppelgangers and they all yep. pass by each other. Yep. But it's like that, but a whole movie. You know what I mean? I would really enjoy if that wasn't uh the end of the movie. I very much so. I'm I'm like you said, I'm hoping it's first act. Like if that's like if that's like beginning and second act where we meet them and yeah. that's the rest of the, that's the story, I would be super happy. Uh, with that. Rosario Dawson? Yeah, there's there's some new faces in this yeah. for sure. Rosario Dawson's in it as Nevada. 
Yeah, Nevada. Nevada? I don't Nevada. know. Nevada. Whatever, man. No, no, I'm, I'm just saying, high. like, the fact that her name is Nevada, like, yeah, in the yeah. story, it's, I can, it's. Wait, now I'm thinking, how do I, Las Vegas, Nevada? I usually say Nevada. I don't know yeah, why I just Nevada. said Nevada. I don't know why I said marijuana that. Marijuana talking. If I was to go, I'm going to Las Vegas, Nevada. Yeah, I would say Nevada. That's fucking weird. Marijuana, what are you doing to me? Dude, the pot bong just totally exploded Dude, in your face. Dude, the pot bongs exploded in my face. It's okay, though. We can recover. We shall rebuild. We shall rebuild. We have the technology. We have the technology to do a Quentin Tarantino review. Hey, that's the next thing we got to talk about, right? Yep. We can do it. Oh, no, wait. Well, there was a piece in. Oh, Andy Serkis is going to direct fucking Venom, uh, too. Speaking of. Hey, so ironically. What the fuck? Because Ruben Fleischer's doing Zombieland 2, Venom 2 is looking for a director because Ruben Fleischer, of course, directed the first one, which Joel still hasn't seen, and I think he needs to. I don't know if I want to. I think uh, you probably don't want. It's 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 the movie you never thought you needed in the best way possible. If you don't take it oh, seriously, dude, dude wait. you will enjoy it. Another fucking sec. I, I wish we had planned this, but now yeah. everyone knows we didn't plan this. Yeah. Woody Harrelson is in the fucking post credit scene of Venom, dude. That's true. He's going to be in Venom 2 as Man, well. Man, this fucking segue is amazing. Yeah, it actually is. Good wow. thing we planned it. Um, Andy Serkis yeah. d- supposedly directing yes. Venom 2. Well, no. Okay, so not directing. It's Sony's, Sony's been on the search for directors. If you want to check out my casting call article I did for, for 10 people who... Who <laughs> put your boner away, dude? <laughs> who, who, who I think would be a good fit for for Venom Two. You can find that at Superhero Hype. But with that said, Lee Harkrider. Sony's. Oh my God! Please don't fucking mention that name on this podcast. You, you've, <laughs> you've, you've, uh, Kid Icarus. Lee Harkrider, Kid move Icarus. On, move on, move on, move uh, on. <laughs> um, you. Uh, okay, so Sony is looking for Venom Two directors. Nothing's for sure yet, but we heard today from the Hollywood Reporter that. Andy Serkis has met for the gu- for the job. Rupert Wyatt has met for the job, along with a, a, a few other people. Apparently, there's no frontrunner yet, but those people have met for the job. But Joel and I just thought the idea of Andy Serkis directing Venom 2 is pretty wild and also kind of maybe appropriate for he would the movie. Have, he, would, he would have to be in the movie at some point, right? He well, would he have to. character. I was gonna say he would have to put the suit on at some point yeah, and yeah, do I something. Mean, he mo-cap. directed the, his last movie was Mowgli. Did you see that on Netflix? He directed Mowgli. Yeah, dude, he did Mowgli. It was supposed to get I a theatrical release, and Netflix bought it up. And I think that movie well, was okay. I think John Favreau kind of just dipped his balls that's, on his face. That's <laughs> the problem. Is it wasn't as good as 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 the Disney version. Yeah, it's it's okay. It's make trying to make trying to make Jungle Book serious and gritty. And like Mowgli, like make Mowgli a tortured character, like doesn't really work. It's an interesting like shot in the dark. Like an eye roll. But I will say that with his effects experience doing that, and you know having worked on big movies like The Hobbit, like he could very well like take this movie and make it his own. So it would be weird, but I wouldn't be opposed to it if it happened. There could be more like uninteresting choices than having Andy Serkis direct a Venom movie. Wait, isn't he the monkey guy? He's definitely the monkey guy, which is funny because <laughs> Rupert Wyatt directed Rise of the Planet of the Apes. You Did he really? Yeah. Wow. So he's going. He's actually going against a man, a person who the directed Venom, him in one of his. The Venom producers are like, "Look, hear me we out. We need apes. Hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. Monkeys. What do you think?" And they were like, "This is a this is a symbiote movie." They're, I know, but hang on, hang on. Monkeys. But what if? They're testing the symbiote on monkeys. monkeys. They were like, they're all right. symbiote monkeys. And then all of a sudden, they're like, okay, all right, all right, okay. We're on board with you. We're going to roll with this. Okay, call Andy Serkis immediately. 
All right. Who else can we get besides Andy Serkis? Get the guy who directed Andy Serkis in the eight movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Jack Black was in that King Kong thing, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Call him. Oh, we can get we can get Peter Jackson, right? He, Andy Serkis knows Peter Jackson, <laughs> dude. Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, man. That's all it is. <laughs> Those phone calls. There's like, hey, this is Sony. We're calling about Venom. Click. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, thank you. Hey, he took the meeting, dude. I know. That's what. That's well, the wild part. Yeah, it's because he but wants pe- the but fucking directors, paycheck. Directors take meetings all the time for stuff that like they don't end up directing. I'm so, sure. Like, I'm sure he wants the paycheck. I, and it, maybe, but I doubt that, dude. Like, I feel like you doubt that you want a Sony. I think. Well, no, no, no. I just think some franchise would, paycheck. No, 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 no. It's not that. I just think that 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 Sony bringing someone an, like a like a lesser known director in or someone who's not as well known as Andy Serkis is probably a better move for them than bringing in someone like Andy Serkis. I mean, he's not well known as a director, though. He's just well known as a person. No, but he's also making a name. I mean, Elizabeth Banks is well known as a person, but that doesn't mean she's not a director who's up and coming. You know? Oh, you mean her next hit movie, Charlie's Angels? Yeah, that trailer's so fucking bad, dude. We watch. It was cringeworthy in the theater, man. Dude, I. Kristen uh, Stewart looks awesome in the movie, but yeah, she really does. Though. And Naomi Harris, or name? Yeah, no, no, not Naomi Harris. Um, Naomi Scott from yeah, Aladdin. She's Princess Jasmine. Um, she looks excellent in the movie, and also the third angel. But it's kind of just like, the, <laughs> oh, the and also another one. The trailer is so bad. Hey, Patrick like, Stewart's in it. Yes, that's true. And Elizabeth Banks fucking giving herself a role as Bosley. Hey man, when you're the boss, you can be the Bosley. <laughs> oh man, fucking file that shit away, Joel. Actually, no, that was pretty good. I'm that not gonna was, make it. I'm not gonna make you file that. That was the marijuana that. talking. I swear to God. But now it's forever immortalized. I the, know. The, you know what? I'm in kinda, the podcast, I'm kinda, you know what? I'm gonna give it like a solid like six out of ten. It wasn't that bad. What the pun? The, the pun. Yeah. yeah. No, it was, it was okay. It wasn't horrible. I said I was just joking about filing it. Is that box of kettle chips over there full? Oh yeah. That's why we need to pause because I also need to pee too. I don't think we've never not paused in the middle of a podcast, but you guys are you you guys never know the fucking difference anyway. We'll be right back. Out of the chips. Dude, salt salt and black pepper. They're pretty bomb. You know the surprise ingredient in these salt and black pepper chips that I would not have guessed? Jalapeno powder. Really? I don't know. Yeah, weird. They're not salt, black pepper, and jalapeno chips. <laughs> that's really interesting. I didn't know that. I mean, maybe it gives it that little extra kick of spice, or maybe that's what the pepper like taste comes from, and the pepper on the chip is just like a texture thing. You know I what guess, I mean? Yes, yeah. Because pepper's really not that spicy, and those chips like are a little. I know some basic bitches that will disagree with you. I think black pepper is fucking spicy. Oh, I mean, my wife thinks it's spicy, but I'm. <laughs> But I'm. I was not. not I was not calling people. your wife a basic bitch. No, 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 not at all. I'm just saying, like, you're not alone in knowing people that like think pepper is spicy. But I'm saying, for me, who doesn't think pepper is spicy, that's m- spicier than normal pepper. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. How many times can I say spicier and pepper in the same sentence? Like at least five. At least five. At least five. But I'm not going to try. So we saw a movie called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. in Hollywood. Ah, dang it. If we could have synced on that, it would have been perfect. Yeah, or if I could have finished you, that would have. I'm sorry, what? Like finish the. If you could, if you could Shut finish me. Fuck. Jesus Christ! Of course you had to take it that way, Joel. 
I'd be more than happy to, by the way. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. No, I meant finish this, the, the title for I you. I know what you meant. Jackass. So this was a Quentin Tarantino movie. Mm-hmm. What is this, his ninth movie? Okay, so let's talk about this first beforehand. I fucking I knew, I knew this would cause a tangent. He called it the ninth movie. It's marketed as the ninth movie, and then Quentin Tarantino comes out and says, oh, no, Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 are one movie. Go fuck yourself. I think I think the box office disagrees with that statement. One hundred percent. The official record of things. We'll see though. It's but yeah, Quentin two. Tarantino's ninth self proclaimed ninth movie. He's only making ten, he says, so we've only got one or maybe two more. So he says. Yeah. But that doesn't include T V projects. That also doesn't include projects he produces. It's just stuff he's writing and directing. Like he could write a script and not direct it and that wouldn't count. He could direct a script that he doesn't write, and that wouldn't count. Really? Because I thought it was directing. To be fair, I don't know if it's a Quentin Tarantino movie, quote-unquote Quentin Tarantino movie, if, if he, he doesn't, doesn't write, write and direct, direct it. Because it. it's his sole voice, you know what I mean? So maybe for him it's a matter of distinction. I don't know if that's actually the case. But Would you say he's an auteur? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Quint- Tarantino's a brand. That's it's a, a genre. That's a film school word. Yeah, sorry. I mean... What, auteur? Yeah. I mean, he is an auteur, though. I know. Up there with the greats, like Wes Anderson. Yeah, absolutely. Michael Bay. Sorry, I was getting a little excited there for a second. I don't you know were getting a little excited like, there. It's like, ah! I know he wants to do Kill Bill Volume 3, and I know he wants to do the Star Trek movie. So I think laying the groundwork by calling Volume 1 and 2 one movie was just a loophole for I him to do both. I think that's bullshit, and I don't think he should do Kill Bill 3. I think he should do something different. Kill Bill 3 is retreading this. If anything... He okay, if you had to, let me He's ask. He's hard this. as fuck for that franchise. Let me ask you this: If you could only have one Star Trek, Quentin Tarantino Star Trek, or Kill Bill Volume Three, which would you have? I, I know it's like choosing which child is your favorite. I would choose Star Trek in a heartbeat, only because it's something he hasn't done before. Kill Bill Three for me would be like more of the same. I want to say Star Trek. But I think like Roca said on Movie Talk, maybe it was Roca. Yeah, he said he doesn't like want cursing in the Federation, and that, like it sounds lame because I love all that violent cursing Tarantino shit. But that would make for a very weird Star Trek movie. I, don't, I think you can make a movie without cursing. I think that would be interesting to see Tarantino restricted like that. That's part of the reason why I would want to see it because he would be he would have to sort of pull back certain parts of himself, which we'll talk about in this movie. But would he? I mean. To a certain extent, yeah. When you're work- when you're working on a big studio film like that, you you it, you know you have to. You don't make those movies alone. I mean, he doesn't make these movies he makes alone, obviously. Well, would but would he negotiate for it to be rated R? It could be rated R, but still, that I mean, doesn't mean you have to include f bombs. Rated R can mean a lot of things. It can mean nudity. It can mean hey. uh, violence. It can mean blood or gore. You know, it can it can mean a, a variety of things. Not to say that would be the case, but I think it would be interesting. If that were the case, I'm still waiting for Reservoir Dogs too. Oh God, shut up, Joel! If anything, <laughs> out of any sequel, I want to see what happens with Tim Roth. I, I would want to see what happened Jackie Brown too. I would want to. I would want the the characters that survive. I would want to see uh, what happened to them after that. Yeah. How uh, does this movie start? I mean, it starts in. Typical, actually, un, un, very untypical Tarantino fashion. Usually, he has a title sequence or a title card, or like 
you know, in the in Django had the title sequence, Hateful Eight had the title sequence. With this movie, it's kind of a cold open. You open right up with the four by three, yep. uh, historical TV, quote unquote, mock TV interview footage, which is shot super cinematically, by the way. The, the, the framing is interview. like immaculate. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and, and you kind of start with that and you get a little bit, I mean, you see it in the trailer. You get a little bit of history on some of the projects uh, DiCaprio's character has worked on. Rick, Rick Dalton. Rick Dalton. You get a little bit uh, between the chemistry of uh him and his stuntman which is cliff cliff booth cliff booth um played by brad pitt of course the accents in this movie are top notch yes absolutely they have southern draws and and from there um it kind of just it, it feels uh, so i would say out of all the opening sequences that speaking of jackie brown this actually felt the most like jackie brown in terms of just following like a character yeah. in their daily life as they're doing what they're doing at their job. Except in this case, it was following two sets of characters. It is literally that just daily life. Yeah. And that's basically what this movie is. So before we jump into this it, This movie's though, about a struggling actor who used to be famous, and now he's kind of on well, the tail end. Well, he's still famous at the end of the well, day. Yeah, but he's kind of on the tail end of his Western fame, and he's trying to find something else to do. He wants to be a big-time Hollywood movie star and get out of the Western pixers. Out of the Western Pixers. Um, I guess let's, before we... There's no, really no way to beyond that to jump into this movie without getting into spoilers, only because it's just kind of like it's a unique thing. We'll say that. Also, you, fuck what, non-spoilers. But but what did you what did you feel about this movie? Just real quick, sum up your non-spoiler thoughts on this movie. How'd you, how'd you, what did you take away from Once Upon a Time in, in Hollywood? Hollywood? Nice. I liked it a lot, and I... I don't know if that's just because I like Quentin Tarantino. Um, again, I'm a I'm a I'm a millennial film school kid. I fucking loved Quentin Tarantino. Of um, Grew up idolizing Pulp Fiction. And yeah, shit. this movie was severely disjointed. The pacing was off. Some of the editing was kind of bad. Um, you mean not not necessarily in between scenes, but like like the transition. Like the scenes were edited well, but the like the movie as a whole, like the way the scenes play out. Yeah, some of even it's just like some of the scenes even weren't really good. Okay. Yeah. Like, um, well, I will say that 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 this movie is shot to Tarantino shot this movie in a way that requires minimal editing, but I can see what you're getting at. Yeah. Um. Too many, too many storylines. Okay. Movie was too long. Definitely didn't need to be two forty-five. That's what it was, right? Yeah, it was with credits. Two forty-five is what it's. Didn't need to be two forty-five. It could have been. I agree. It could have been two. We'll we'll talk more about that. But it could use. You could have easily lopped forty-five minutes off this movie and 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 uh, got the same effect, I believe. Um, but Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio. I I was gonna say single-handedly, but there's two of them. Double-handedly. Saved this movie, and yeah. in the end, I very much had a great time, and I enjoyed it a lot. Totally, yeah. See, I, 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 I agree with a lot of those sentiments. I think that Tarantino, the writer, is his own worst enemy in this respect, um, because Tarantino, the writer, just kind of meanders and like doesn't like. There's, I like I told you when we got out of the movie, I was like, I was uh, usually Tarantino's like pretty pointed with what he's trying to say with the movie. Even Hateful Eight, which was a little ambiguous, that was a little more like um, stage play-y, if yeah. you will. 
than any of his other movies but i'm still str- i mean we've only just come out of the movie maybe what a couple hours it's been if that um About two i'm hours. still struggling to figure out what tarantino was trying to say with this movie although i know he was trying to say something i just don't quite know what it is and maybe that requires a second viewing or maybe it just requires more time to think about it but i'm a little torn on this i'm it's a good movie but i, I didn't i think love he was trying it. to say that brad pitt fucks dude oh big time this movie this movie fucks dude <laughs> this movie has a big we talked about it this movie has a massive foot fetish this movie has a massive ass and leg fetish as well there's just shots meandering shots gratuitous shots of like people's legs and feet and the camera pans up and down their body like it's it's a horny movie i don't think that it's any secret that quentin tarantino loves his feet and i was waiting for it and it came there's a shot where brad oh. pitt's driving a hippie girl home she puts her feet up against the windshield and then the very next cut is literally a close up of well okay so like i guess it's supposed to be a medium shot of Brad Pitt driving the car it is but the other thing in the frame is an extreme close up of her fucking feet pressing well, against the windshield i will say that it's very obvious and very in your face but at the same time it works for the scene because it divides them within the frame and it's a good storytelling tool that's not why he did it's, it it's i know but it also works for the scene and for the movie i would say but like, that's not why he did no but it still works if it works it works who cares if he can he, get his foot fetish fucking... He wants to fuck shit. that girl's feet. Yeah, well, so for those of you that don't know, there's been rumors in the past that Tarantino has a massive foot fetish. So Watch there's your his daily movies. news for the day. It's very blatant. For the evening, for the week, whatever you want to call it. Daily news for the day is what I said. Daily monthly Allow news. Allow myself to introduce myself. Daily monthly news for the past four years. Yeah, for those who don't know, which, I mean, if you're listening to this, you probably do. Tarantino's, like, no, Tarantino's a weirdo. But regardless of that, um, I, you know, I think Tarantino, the writer, is very disjointed and, and very uh, off the cuff. And there's really that a lot of meandering. And, and again, I don't see what the point is. However. More, more meandering than most Tarantino movies. Too. However, 100%. More than any of his other movies, I would argue. Even Death Proof. And Death Proof is a fuck. We talked about it. Death Proof meanders. Death Proof is. And that's one of my least favorite Tarantino movies. And I don't want to say this is one of my least favorites, but in terms of like structure and forward momentum, this movie has like no forward momentum whatsoever. No, it's just whenever the characters want to do something, they totally. go and do it. And the pacing is weird. And, but that also comes to the writing, too, because like I said, it's shot you know, in that way. But with that said, Tarantino, the writer, is a detriment to the movie. I think Tarantino, the director, makes up for everything that Tarantino, Tarantino the writer lacks in with this movie. So the performances are amazing. He's got his the own shots back. are amazing. The direction is incredible. The eclectic cast he was able to bring to like there's just so many el- the production design transform the period piece of it the costumes transforming uh, the Hollywood streets into 70s Hollywood like I was, we talked a little bit about that. I was telling you this earlier. I think if it doesn't win production design, it's a fucking travesty. It's it's pretty freaking impressive. You know what I mean? What they're able to do. So. I think that a lot like and, you know, even, we'll talk about the climax like Tarantino. The director goes wild in the climax, you know. What I yeah. Mean? Um, and that's also partly his 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 release writing release too of having done what he's done for the whole movie and then going full Tarantino. But we'll talk about that. So I will say that for me, the movie's a little bit of a mixed bag. I don't want to give it a full score yet until we talk about it further. Yeah. But um, I will say from. You know, beyond that, that I mean, is there anything else besides like that that you like do before we get into spoilers? Um, no. Well, 
What did you think of Margot Robbie? Let's talk about Margot Robbie a little bit spoiler free. Margot Robbie's one of the most beautiful people on the planet. In the movie, like, played tries a, to. Played a great Sharon Tate. Yeah. But I don't think the movie does too much with her. That's the problem. No, again, like I said, there's too many storylines. Yeah, totally. We'll we didn't need to it. see her go watch her own movie. Why, yeah, the, fuck no, okay, we, why yeah. the fuck are we watching that? Totally. Like, I, my, my, my question is, why was she even in the movie? Like, I don't see a reason for Sharon Tate to be in the movie other than... Then you can't talk... Those other than the climax. Exactly. So, let's just jump into spoilers. Said, so let's jump into spoilers. Margo Full spoilers mode. Anybody listening who hasn't heard, pause, come back, you know the drill, and go. Margot Robbie plays Sharon Tate. Sharon Tate's in this movie called Wrecking Crew. She goes to watch herself in the movie, and that's, I think, the longest scene she fucking has. No, that's, like, the only arc. That's the only, like, that's her storyline is going to, driving to see the movie and then driving back. No, she's, there's a little bit with her at the Playboy Mansion and, like. That's true, but that's, like, introducing her. Yeah, like, why are we watching her watch herself on the fucking screen? I don't give a shit. Totally, which renders that whole Playboy Mansion scene uh, useless, except for the fact that Emile Hirsch is in the movie. I don't know. That whole Steve McQueen thing was fucking gold. Wait, who played Steve McQueen again? It was uh, I don't know, but it wasn't. It was the dude from Homeland, Damien uh, Bashir. No, not Damien Bashir. Um, the dude, the lead from Homeland. Don't watch Homeland. All I know is that it's not the dude who played Steve McQueen in the biopic that I shot called GT three ninety. The and biopic. It definitely should have fucking been because that dude is a fucking clone of steve mcqueen it's ridiculous yeah but i love i love at the end of that scene when who uh whatever woman steve mcqueen is with she goes well sharon tate certainly has a type in uh she's talking about roman polanski and jay sebring who is emil hirsch's character yeah she goes she likes some uh cute short and looks like a 12 year old boy yeah and steve mcqueen takes a long drag of a cigarette and he goes I never stood a chance. I never <laughs> stood a chance. It's uh it's Damian Lewis. Damian Lewis plays uh plays Steve McQueen and he's the lead in Homeland. He's a Brit. He played a pretty good Steve McQueen, but I know a better one. There were a lot of cameos in this, but um yeah, I just felt like uh I felt like Margot Robbie was vitally underused in this movie. And you know, there's been a there it, did you feel like Margot Robbie should have had more speaking lines in this film? I think I don't think that she was underused. I just think that they, honestly, I think they overused her. Like there was like there no reason to use her. If almost. you need her for that climax scene, that's fine. Just use her for that. Just use her for that reason. Just use her as a plot device to get those characters there at the end. You don't need to show us her watching a movie. I know. And the problem is, is that's so inner space that we don't ever like the, it's like 15 or 20 minutes between scenes where we jump from seeing her to seeing, you know, for the first time to the second time. And, you know, in those 20 minutes, you almost forget that she's even in the movie. Oh yeah. You know what I mean, and so it's like, there's and not to mention all the other storylines and characters that are happening. I mean, in this movie, you have three basic storylines, right? You have the Leo storyline, you have the Brad Pitt storyline, and then you have the Margot Robbie storyline. Yeah. And what's funny about this movie is that, you know, people have been online have been complaining, saying that Margot Robbie didn't have enough lines in this movie or didn't have enough presence in this movie. And I agree with you that she shouldn't have really been in this movie at all. There was Tarantino went through a big whole ordeal, a six month ordeal where he was courting Margot Robbie to do this movie. And I can see why she didn't want to take the fucking role because it's a nothing role. But she basically did it to work with Tarantino. That's the only reason why she's in this. I want to say you either do more or you do less with her, but I don't see how you could do more because there's not a That's lot of there saying. for and her character to do. And at that point, if you cut, if, dude, if you cut the, the Sharon Tate stuff, 
barring the end, just have her appear in the end. You could shave twenty minutes off this movie, or the beginning and the end. Like you, I mean, totally. you like have to introduce her. Yeah, you introduce her and then you have her at the end, and that's what I thought the movie was going to do, anyways. I never th- expected her to be a main character, and so I look. Just let's was just like, so there's a scene in the beginning when Charles Manson shows up to meet some friends at his house or at at his friend's house or whatever. And he gets there, and Emil Hirsch answers the door, and he's like, "Oh, yo, your friends don't live here anymore." Roman Plansky owns this fucking house now, and he like sees Sharon Tate, or whatever. And you're like, "Oh, that's the big setup, right?" So have him there, and then have her be in the end of the movie. That's really all you need to do. She doesn't need to be in the rest of the movie. One hundred percent. Also, let's talk about how I I I would like to know the historical accuracies of Roman Plansky living up on Silo Drive. Or if Tarantino just chose it to be Roman Polanski because he's no. st- strangely defended Polanski, that weird pedophile. Polanski, act that, Polanski was a part of it. They actually lived there. The only fact, fictitious part is that Rick Dalton lived next to right. So that was all based on the real stuff as far as I'm aware. I'm not a, obviously a Manson right. expert. So I'm. So it's not just Quentin Tarantino's weird boner for a pedophile? No. I think that gotcha. was actually I think that was actually a part of it. I don't know whether Manson showed up like he did in the movie or not. I think that's all the revisionist history of it. Can we talk about why the fuck Quentin Tarantino is defending a weird-ass pedophile, dude? I, in in his mind, I don't think he's defending it. No, he defended it. Tarantino's hypothesis on things is different than other people's. No, Quentin, we don't have to get into it, but Quentin yeah. Tarantino was like, she was she was into it. She wanted him. And I was like, dude, she's 13. Yeah, it's, not, it's not how that fucking works. It's weird. It is good to know that. Are we, oh wait, we're talking about where he so he defended Polanski. Yes. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, not Manson. No, not Manson. She, that's why I was like, what the fuck? No, not Manson. Okay, no, no, no. yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's that's super weird, dude. One hundred percent. That's that's. that's uh, sorry, You're just we sitting were on here. Completely <laughs> different levels. We there, really dude. were. Uh, so Rick Dalton uh, is having uh, trouble with his career. Brad Pitt being his stunt double is just going along for the ride. Which there's a great joke about him. Like, uh, I guess he's he's along for the ride, but he's he also is the ride. Like he's like right. that's a bunch of bullshit. That's a pretty great little tangent. The first of many tangents in this movie. He is Leo's driver because Leo got into too many DUIs and can't drive his own car. Yeah, the whole movie. He's a drunk. The whole movie is about Leo and Brad Pitt. Uh, losing importance in Hollywood. I guess you could. T- I mean, on the surface level, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm just that's just yeah. the plot of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And with that, I would say that the movie. It, it's interesting because the movie is about them, but it's like not really about them. It's really about the people around them. And I find that to be fascinating. Like this movie, this movie is really about, in a certain respect, like the Holly, like the idiosyncrasies of Hollywood. Oh, you know absolutely. I mean? And but it's like, of course, the warped Tarantino version. Well, that. the whole thing with Kurt Russell, where he can't hire Brad Pitt because his wife doesn't like him. And that okay. By the way, did you know that was Zobel? Yeah. So of course, famed stuntwoman Zobel, who was in, uh, who was in Death Proof. Yep, uh, on the hood, famously doing the seat belt or the uh, the the um, the belt yeah uh, thing, and uh, that was a great surprise. I loved her. Her she really that was one of the cameos where she really made us st- stood out for me as like putting in a genuinely great performance. Like 
despite being like a legend in the stunt world of Hollywood. Yeah, and I do love that that is very much a Hollywood thing. Like, oh man, sorry, can't hire you because this other person I work with doesn't 100%, like you. 100%, dude. And Kurt Russell, let alone just having Kurt Russell as the stuntman, which is funny because another Death Proof reference, people have been wondering if that's there's any connection between his character in Once Upon a Time in, in Hollywood. Hollywood and uh, Death Proof because they're both he plays stuntman character yeah, stuntman yeah, yeah. Mike you know what I mean yeah so so I'm curious if that's a weird Tarantino connection also just just want to get it out there uh, also the connection between Uma Thurman and uh, her daughter now being in a Tarantino movie too yeah she's in the climax yeah just an, a quick note there's no significance to that I think that that scene is uh, not not the ending scene the scene we were just talking about with Bruce Lee yeah. I think it's probably one of my favorite scenes. Yeah. It was in it was in the trailer, but I just love when he was like, "My hands are lethal weapons. If I fight you and I accidentally kill you, I get in trouble." And Brad Pitt's like, "Anybody who fights somebody and kills them gets in trouble. It's called manslaughter." Yeah, absolutely, dude. It was For Brad that, Pitt's delivery on that is just fucking solid gold. Yep, and the way the scene plays out too, the way the camera like just pans over to him and it yeah. all plays out in one shot. That was that was a really cool thing. Seen, I to be honest, I would have loved to see a little bit more Bruce Lee, but that was supposed to be a flashback, right? No, I'm pretty sure that was supposed to be a flashback because Bruce Lee died before the Manson murders took place. I think. Oh wait, maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I think it was. I think in the 70s. I think it was that day that he got like he because if you look at what he's wearing, Rick Dalton puts on like a tuxedo. Oh, in the yeah, in the trailer, and he to, gets yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. To, you're right. You're right. You're yeah. right. You're right. Sorry. And he gets hired that day. Yeah, no, you're right. And then yeah, and then you touch Bruce Lee, and he make, yeah. So you know, there's a lot of little moments like that that work well for me, but but yeah, it just felt really disjointed, and it's like there's not really like a narrative, like a like a like a driving narrative force in this movie. It's just it's a, like a like a slice of life. Essentially, the movie breaks down. It's broken into three days you know but but you know that i love my slice of life movies this was just too disjointed like absolutely slice of life is my is my preferred narrative 100 um it's just it was it was too all over the place yeah well i keep wasn't focused i keep coming back to favorite moments of the movie and not favorite like storylines or arcs like yeah just like small small moments are are my favorite leo has a, a little bit of an arc and Brad Pitt's character has a little bit of an arc, but beyond that, it's kind of like part of the problem though, is the movie in the third act jumps forward six months and it's hard to really like, you know, it's like they have to have, they have to have kind of like what you said with the walking dead, where it's like you jump forward 10 years. Like how are you able to invest in all the stuff that's happened and have it feel satisfying? You know, well they have to have Kurt Russell narrate a bunch of the movie because they didn't fucking, because they didn't set it up, which comes out of nowhere. At least there should have been some narration in the beginning. I mean, that's, Tarantino doing Tarantino, but yeah. still. Again, like just I have to talk about favorite moments because I don't I I can't talk about how good the movie as a whole is. Like yeah. the moment when like Leo thinks he fucked up like uh this this like big cameo role that he gets. Yeah. And he just goes into his trailer and he's like yeah. he's like, Yeah, like you gotta show up to set fucking drunk. He's like, You gotta <laughs> he's like he's like talking to himself in the mirror and he's like, yeah. You had to have fucking eight whiskey sours. You had to have eight. You couldn't have had Three or four, you dude, had to have eight, dude. And then and then he's like, "I'm fucking done drinking." And then he throws the the flask down, and he's like, 
fuck it. And he goes yeah, and he picks and it up he, and he starts and chugging it. He chugs the rest of it and then he throws it out yeah. of the trailer. And in that moment, Joel and I, uh, we like uh, had to sit separately in the theater because it was so packed. And I hear Joel from like three rows up just laughing at that joke. And I was just like, this is the best. We were both cracking up during it big time. It was just too good where he's like, I'm done drinking. It's, it's definitely one of Tarantino's funniest movies. That's for sure. Like there were a lot of yeah. laughs and there are a lot of moments that really played well in this movie for both myself and the audience. But Fuck again, it. I don't know. I, ultimately, I don't know what Tarantino's trying to say with this movie. You know what I mean? I don't either, but I'm, I'm not done talking about I that mean, scene yet. No, oh, yeah. No, totally. I'm just saying like it just goes back to that same point. Yeah. I, and he's like staring at himself in the mirror. Like talking to himself in the third person, he's like, yeah. he's like, if you don't get your shit together, I'm gonna fucking murder you. I'm gonna blow your fucking brains out when we get home. Which is funny because it's almost like, uh, it's almost like a weird subconscious acknowledgement of like what's gonna happen later or what should happen, what people think are gonna happen, think is gonna happen later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was so like Leo pulling together a solid comedy role in that moment for sure. Hamming it up. Yeah, definitely hamming it up. It's 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 one of his more hammy performances, that's for sure. Because usually he's a pretty serious actor, and he's, I think he's kind of playing into like not only the, the not only the Tarantino type, but like the fact that he's essentially a veteran actor at this point who's should be and and could be washed up if he wasn't fucking Leonardo DiCaprio, you know? Yeah, hundred percent. So it kind of works in that in the in that sense. Um, but yeah, I mean that actors are definitely the best part of this. I mean, you have. You have uh, let's we talked about a little bit. Al Pacino shows up in the beginning. Yeah, he's playing like an agent who's the trying agent. to court uh, him for like spaghetti westerns yep. in uh, Rome. Yep. And uh, Leo's not having it because he wants to make a like big a Sergio, Sergio Leone. Yeah, knockoff. exactly. Yep. Uh, he's like trying to court him for like movies in Rome, and Leo's not having it because he wants to be a big time Hollywood actor. Uh, he does end up in the end going to Rome. Of course. Which we don't see. He wants to make. Well, we see glimpses of. He wants to make some money. So let me ask you this. I know this is jumping forward a little bit, but why did? What was the purpose of having him marry the chick and bring her back? Like, what was the narrative purpose of having that character in the movie? I just think it was a mirror to when Roman Polanski came back. He like. Oh. In the very beginning his... of the movie, they show Roman Polanski coming out of the airport with. Okay, I with see a wife. It. I see it. I see it. I see it. Okay. It didn't really yeah. have any significance I, did, at all. I didn't even, to, to be honest, I didn't even connect with that. But that yeah, makes yeah. sense. He brings okay. Margot Robbie back from wherever the yeah, fuck yeah, yeah. they just were, and they get married and all that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess like the next biggest part of the movie is when Brad Pitt meets the weird fucking Manson family. Yeah, that's a huge element. He gives Pussycat a ride home yeah, to this the, ranch. They close off the 101 freeway. Classic. Close off the whole. Uh, we're, my wife turns to me during that, and she's like, "I wonder how much that cost." Because <laughs> there's like ten cars on the 101. It's like that's not realistic, even in 1970. Right. So he meets he meets these weird Manson kids on the ranch, and he kind of makes he kind of Chatsworth, right? They say yeah, the name check Chatsworth. It's a movie ranch in Chatsworth. Yeah. Um, he kind of makes enemies with them. Real fucking quick. He's like flirting with this like underage girl. And then all of a sudden he's like beating the shit out of Manson kids. And shit gets real, dude. Yeah. And so he makes an enemy with them real fast. But he does it in a Tarantino way where it's like, you know what's happening, but like there's tension and like, like everybody's playing the part in the scene. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Brad Pitt's pretending, uh, Cliff is pretending to like, you know, 
it's it's a little passive aggressive you know that scene and it, the the way he draws it out and the way he plays it's classic tarantino yeah i think that scene taken alone if you took that 15 minute scene or whatever it is and you took it by itself it would be a fucking master class but again the only way that connects like i was hoping that scene would connect like to the end but it really doesn't the only way it connects is like hey i remember you and like that's it you know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, I yeah, I don't really want to talk about the weird small parts of this movie. We can just jump to the end. Um, the end. Fuck, man. This movie. The, the more I, I mean, talk the about end it. It's definitely the highlight. Yeah. Of the movie. I mean, again, if you took the, the 15 or 20 minutes ending of this movie and took it as like a short film or just a little Tarantino one off, like right. it would be amazing. So the movie. I mean, OK, so if you know Tarantino at all, he's very into his revisionist history. So the end of the movie, the narrator starts saying what Sharon Tate did with her friends throughout the night. Yep. That she was supposedly murdered. Yeah. And then at the same time, the narrator is telling us what Rick Dalton and, and Brett Cliff did. and yeah. Cliff did through that night. And they night. basically go get drunk at a Mexican place. It's super funny. Oh, dude, the way that the he, way that plays against expectations is brilliant. I you totally we'll get there. believe. We'll get there. But yes. The way that I just love that the way that he describes uh, Brad Pitt and Leo's relationship in the movie, he goes a little bit more than a brother, but less than a wife. Yeah, one hundred percent. It's pretty funny. Kurt Russell, baby. So Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth go get fucking shit canned, uh, and they have to take a cab back. They have to take a cab back. So if you know nothing, the Manson family murdered Sharon Tate. So yeah. these uh, Manson acolytes show up on the block mm -hmm. and you're like damn they're here to fucking kill sharon tate this is where we thought the movie yeah, was going cliff is gone and and leo's all fucked up making his margaritas and shit which was hilarious i dude. love that they get back they get back from the restaurant and the narrator's like rick dalton drunk as fuck starts making <laughs> blended margaritas at 12 30 it's such an alcoholic thing to do dude it's and so he funny just goes i love during the whole climax he's just floating on the pool starts jumping pool, ahead yeah. but it's so funny uh, so yeah, the whole time we think that these Manson acolytes are coming to kill Sharon Tate, ends up that they fucking break into the wrong house. Yeah, Brad Pitt's there tripping on acid. Yeah. Well, I don't know if they broke into the wrong house. I thought it was because Leo yelled at him that they decided to go and fuck with them. Like if Leo hadn't been there, they would have gone to Sharon Tate's house. But that's the revisionist history part of it. Um, so it's like because Leo's character came out, they went after him and not her. Is it, though, because they were talking about how much they liked him? That's the way I took it. They were like, oh, they were like, oh, we like him. And then they were like, oh, let's go kill him. I thought they said, let's go murder him or something like that. M something mentioning about let's go fucking murder him or something. All right. So that's the way I took it. But maybe again, maybe. I'm yeah. Wrong. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, the revisionist history is that uh, they don't go to kill Sharon Tate. Yeah. So they, they break next door. So they break into Rick Dalton's house, who is floating in the pool. And Brad Pitt has again shown his fighting skill throughout the movie he's yeah. fought he's fought bruce lee and fucked people up he's fucked people up the whole movie so these these what would you say fucking teenagers yeah break into the house and they try to kill brad pitt and in sheer tarantino fashion we just get brutal murder like and not not against brad pitt Brad Pitt and his dog in this movie fucking straight up brutalize these some, people. Some, some dick rippage, some dick.
stick and package ball rippage from the dog. Dude, he chucks a full can of dog food at this chick's face. Well, not only that, and then he calls him on the guy, and the, the dog just on his package, yeah, man. That was brutal, dude. That hurt to watch. It was pretty bad. The whole scene, though, when he throws that fucking can of dog food, it's just like, holy shit. Like Breaks you said, you're waiting for it. You're waiting because he's holding it, and it's just... You can tell he's gripping it like a baseball. Especially because it sets up that there's that scene earlier in the movie where he feeds the dog, and it's like... Yeah, it's, yeah. It's such a great setup. So he just fucks these people up, dude. He smashes this chick's face into a fucking... Yo, he, he like, curb stomps... The dude on the on the like the front doorstep, yeah. Like what did you call it? Like the door jam. The dude yeah. like falls in the door jam and he comes over and he fucking American History X's his <laughs> face on the curb fucking stomps him. curb stomps him. American dude. History X's his face. Yeah, dude. That's a quote, dude. Let's do it. That's a pull quote, baby. And then he takes yeah, and then he takes that redhead chick and he slams her face into the phone, slams her into the fucking like the countertop eight times. He's just like. And they're showing this face just break open. Yeah. It's brutal. And then Leo gets to do some action. The, the the only chick to survive that fight runs out screaming bloody murder, falls into the pool, and Leo busts oh. out a flamethrower. The flamethrower, Which is dude. a prop from a movie he did. Which is so good because that's an Inglorious Bastards, like yep. Tarantinoism there, too. Like, cr- like uh, connecting the, the Tarantino universe, so to speak. Yeah, and then just fucking sets her ablaze, dude. Anybody looking for fried sauerkraut? Oh, my God. That's the best, dude. Die, you Nazi bastards. Yeah, no, the flamethrower. Because you forget that they, they show him, like, testing the flamethrower and all that stuff, but they never mention the fact that, that he got he to keep it. it. Yeah. And it's just so good. It's so good. And I love the callback where they're like, oh, it's from that movie or whatever. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. At the end when he's talking to Emil Hirsch. Yeah, so the whole movie is, like, him wanting to be an actor. Like, well, outside, relevant, outside, relevant, outside yeah. of TV. And early in the movie, he's like, I live next to fucking Roman Polanski now. I'm one party away from being cast in a Roman Polanski movie. Yeah. So all he wants to do is be up in that house. Yeah. And at the very end, Emil Hirsch, JC Bring, is like, hey, man. Come up and have a drink. He's like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, we're... F-. And then he tells him the whole story, and he goes, oh, shit. Is everyone all right? <laughs> and I just love this line, too. He goes, well, the fucking hippies aren't. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, my friend and his dog killed two of them, and then I torched the last one. Yeah, and that's where he brings up with the the flamethrower. Yeah. And apparently Sharon Tate's a big Rick Dalton fan. Yeah. Well, it's just really funny because I felt like the ending was perhaps like one of the most optimistic Tarantino endings that he's ever had. Usually his endings are pretty dour or pretty melancholy. Yeah. Or like trying to say something really hefty. This one was actually like really positive, like... The fact that like these people I- overcame like these fucking these what'd you call them the the hippies not the hippies but what'd you uh, the the followers or oh, uh, the acolytes acolytes thank you um, these acolytes and that they've they've defeated them and you know everyone's like better off for it you know Rick Dalton finds his happiness you actually learn that Margot Robbie is uh, Sharon Tate is a big fan of, of Rick Dalton and, and she like, doesn't die exactly and all that stuff so it's like really it's a really it's a it's an interesting ending for Tarantino, but and I don't want to say it's off putting, but it's different than what I'm what I would have expected, which I guess is a good thing. 
Oh yeah, Brad Pitt didn't even die, and he got stabbed. I know. It's I crazy. thought Brad Pitt was gonna for sure bite the dust because I knew going into the movie that he was the connection to Manson in the movie because I had seen the trailers, yeah, and all yeah. that stuff, you know. And it's just so I found it. Um, I thought Manson was gonna be in this movie more right? than he was. So that was. was the other thing I was gonna say is that th- I was surprised at the lack of Charlie Manson in this movie. He's maybe one or two shots at most. Uh, one scene. One scene. One scene. Maybe two or three shots at most. That's all it could be. Couldn't I, be more than three I thought he was going to be in it way more than he was. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, the movie ends, you know, kind of on a little bit of a happy note. And I will, I will say that this is, um, this is probably the most Tarantino-esque film nah. that I've seen. Like, it's really, well, not Tarantino-esque, but, like, it's Tarantino giving in to Tarantino the most I've ever seen. Where it's, he's really just running wild and running rampant and just doing what he wants to do. Fuck narrative. Fuck structure. All that stuff. We and heard you like Tarantino, that. so we gave you some Tarantino in your Tarantino. Exactly. And I'll take my Tarantino with some Tarantino on the side, please. Another, and I feel like this movie boils down to scenes and one-liners. And 100%. I feel like another great liner was uh, when uh, Cliff had already met Tex. Tex is one of the hippies that breaks into the house to try to kill them. Yeah. He he had already met Tex before. And he goes, wait, what's your name again? He's like, I am Satan. And I am here to do the deed of Satan and murder you. Or whatever yeah. the fuck he says. Yeah. And he goes, nah, it's something stupider than that. <laughs> something stupider than that. Yeah, man. So I good. mean, this, this movie, this movie, like, okay, let me ask you this. Do you think, what did, do you think the movie would have been better off with, out Leonardo DiCaprio's character on a narrative level. Obviously, there's some great scenes with him, but if you took out Leo's character entirely and you just focus on Brad Pitt and the Manson family and Sharon Tate, do you think we would have had a little bit better of a movie, a little bit tighter of a movie? Because I feel like a lot of the tangential shit is like because of Leonardo DiCaprio's character. And I only say this because this is something that just came to mind and I'm still trying to process the movie. That's why I asked that. No, I think there's a better way to have paced the movie with both of those characters, and that's having Sharon Tate only be at the middle and the end. Or I'm sorry, yeah, but the beginning like and the end. But that's only like 20 minutes. I mean, the movie still would have been overstuffed. It still would have felt the same. But there's still so much shit on both ends that we don't need to see. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. There's a lot. There's of, a lot of filler. There's a lot of scenes for both Brad and fucking Leo that we don't need. You could have cut 20 minutes out of both of their parts, taking Sharon Tate out I mean, of the middle fair, entirely. To be fair, you could have cut the whole Bruce Lee sequence and probably not No, that scene is gold. No, 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 it is gold, but only because you see him be a badass it, at the ranch. And, like, that's... He wasn't a badass at the ranch. He beat the shit out of a meth head. I know, it exactly, not, no. which is a great setup for the fucking... But that doesn't make him a badass. Him, but you're saying having him beat Bruce Lee actually makes him... Or, I can go punch a meth head uh, in the fucking face. Yeah. The kid, the kid was like sixteen. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like Brad Pitt beating the shit out of a kid just shows that he doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, him okay. fighting Bruce Lee makes him that's a badass. True. That's true. No, I'm just. I, that's true. You're absolutely right. And I'm basically. I'm just trying to figure out scenes that like could have been cut to have made not, this like not the Bruce Lee scene. Yeah, like that Bruce Lee scene needs absolutely definitely needs not to the be Bruce there. Lee scene. Yeah, man. I mean, I don't like. It's just. It's just a lot of meandering. Um, and I don't know if. I would say it's like middle Tarantino for me. I probably like it more than Death Proof, but I don't know if I like it more than like Inglorious Bastards oh, or a hey, that was a beer, um, or even uh, Django or even Hateful Eight. Like I think Hateful Eight's a better movie than this, hands down. 
It's a more folk. Uh, okay, better isn't fair. It's a more focused movie than this. There, there are a lot more focused Tarantino movies than this. I mean, th- this is the least focused Tarantino movie. So yeah, that's not absolutely. And it's not hard to be. I think. Well, no, I'm just saying. I think that's part of the problem, though. Like, like I think that's part of the issue. I will watch this movie again to hear Brad Pitt one-liners. Well, why do that when you could just watch YouTube clips? True. I mean, it's not it's not to d- like discredit you watching the movie again. It's more so just like like we were kind of talking about like th- is there really a need to see this movie again other than to like form an opinion on it? Like yeah. when you came out you said like one of the things you told me was like I don't know if I need to see this movie soon again, like anytime soon again. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the rewatchability of it. I want to know how that guy was cast as uh, Charles Manson in the Mindhunter season two off of one scene. Like, it's not like he gave an amazing think, fucking I performance. It, I think, I think it, I think Mindhunter came before, like it happened simultaneously. Like they, they were, but they, it was before they were both in production. But I, I think Tarantino didn't realize that he had cast the guy in Mindhunter, and that's why he cast him because he was so good as as Charles Manson. Yeah. But for the actor, it's like, dude, that's kind of shady, like going up for the same role in a different like. Yeah. But hey, to be fair, it's movies and TV. <laughs> Amen. But either way, um, I would say this is kind of like mid level Tarantino for me, where it's like, it's interesting and it's good, and my big question is like. Beyond the technical shit, do you think this movie actually has a chance to win, or to, not to win? That would be stupid to get nominated for like best picture or even best actor or actress for maybe Robbie, Margot, uh, Margot Robbie, Brad Pitt, or DiCaprio. Production design. Well, that, besides the technical stuff, production Produ- design, production is design stuff. only. You think that's it? Nothing else. Do you think the none of the actors deserve to win anything? They didn't do anything special. I would say that, like, part of the, like, again, I think the performances really make this movie. Without the performances. No, yeah, they're funny, but they don't deserve best, best anything. They don't deserve best actor. I guess it depends on what the field is. Do you think this movie has a shot for best picture at all? No. No? Not at all. Not at all? Not at all. Okay. That's interesting, because I feel the same way. I was just curious how, like, if you, you know, it's like, it's Tarantino, so it has a shot. Nevertheless, it's Tarantino, so... You know that's just that that is what it is. But um, I kind of agree with you, man. I, I don't know if this beyond the technical stuff, if this movie really has a shot at like um, making a splash. Maybe that's part of the reason why it was released during the summer. It's the first summer Tarantino release ever, actually. Is that true? Yep. Most of his releases have been obviously indie shit, but like have either been in the fall, uh, mostly in the fall, actually. I mean, if you think Django came out in the fall. Glorious Bastards came out in the fall. Death Proof came out in a, uh, October, so that was the fall. Yeah. I would say the last summer releases he's had have, have been Kill Bill, Volume 1 and 2. Which apparently they're just one volume. Yeah, so. no, one, one, one whole movie, despite the fucking titles of the movie. To be fair, there is a one movie cut of it called Kill, Kill Bill, The Whole Bloody Affair. And it's both movies spliced back to back with like a five minutes added to bridge the gap. Did a fan do that? No, it's official Tarantino cut. He screened it at the New Bev multiple times, but they've never done a, a theatrical release of it or a home video release, and I've been waiting. I literally haven't bought either of those movies on Blu-ray because I've been waiting to buy The Whole Bloody Affair. 
And uh, literally, there's a market out there for that movie. Oh, 100%. And I've heard The Whole Bloody Affair is amazing. It's better than both watching both the movies back to back or watching them individually. Like, it is the way to watch the movie. Sorry, that's a tangent, but. Fuck. Well, now now I want it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, you know what, man? It was funny. I really, like I said, I enjoyed Brad Pitt the most in this movie. He was hilarious. And uh, I think that's the only reason to go see the movie. What would you rate this movie if you were to rate it? I don't know yet. You don't know yet? I think part of me wants to give it, right off the cuff, a 2 out of 5 out of 5. I'm going to do a 5 out of 10. Which is a 2 out of 5 out of 5. Yeah. Which is the same thing. I would say it's good, Tarantino, but I just don't know if it's going to hold up. Maybe on repeat viewings that will increase. Or maybe you know, giving it more than a couple hours of thought will 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 change my opinion on it. But for right now, I feel like I'm one of those people that's like not really on the once upon a time in hollywood train in hollywood ah fuck i know you fucked that up i just look it just suffered from too much tarantino man it just meandered too much that's it yep unfortunately it's tarantino's being his being his own worst enemy in this case you know yep so what happened when you that's what happens when you become a brand like that though and you become a filmmaker that that has no restrictions you know in this movie there's no there's no doubt tarantino could do whatever the fuck he wanted to do like if he wanted to make a 200 dollar 200 million dollar period piece he could have done it obviously he didn't but like the fact that he had less restrictions than ever i think might have been a detriment to this i don't know wes anderson hasn't really failed yet yeah but he always gives himself restrictions in some way or another that i think are fascinating like not showing up to the set of Fantastic Mr. Fox, sick burn. Damn. But he made up for that with Isle of Dogs by showing up every day. <laughs> yeah, he did. I never saw Isle of Dogs. I heard it was good. It's pretty good. Yeah, I, haven't, I need oh. to check it out. I liked it a lot. <coughs> All right. Well, I think we talked enough about it since we're yeah. talking about other fucking movies Way now. longer way longer than we probably should have. But there's, there's a lot to digest this with, with this movie. I feel like we'll maybe return to it probably come awards season, at least to just, you know, give our follow-up thoughts but um but we'll see until then i mean it's definitely it's definitely i would say it's higher on my favorite tarantino list than it is my best tarantino list let's put it that way it's one of the funnier tarantino movies well that's what i'm saying it's one of the more enjoyable tarantino movies yeah you know some of them are are you know, uh, rough to get through in terms of like the the seriousness. You know, the I'll the watch that final fight scene over and over. Absolutely, on repeat. Yep. But I guess that's it. Thank you for We're listening. Not tired at all? No, God, no. Thank you for. I mean, we we have to watch Mission Impossible two after this. Mission Impossible. Mission, Mission Impossible two. After we got to watch Mission Impossible two, the the sequel to Gro- Ghost Prots, Rogue Nation two, uh, Fallout three. Just smoke so much they're more making, weed. They're making they're making two fucking Mission Impossible sequels, dude. How are we gonna? How are we gonna how name we gonna, these? That's what I'm saying. It's that. Well, that's what I was getting at. It's gonna be Ghost Prots, Rogue Nation two, Fallout three, blank, and then whatever that movie is stacked on number five. It's gonna be Ghost Prots four, Rogue well, Nation yeah. three, Fallout two. It's too much, man. It's too much to handle. Can't handle it. Taylor, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at the aforementioned website of. Superhero.com. Just follow his boner throughout this podcast. <laughs> the 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 concurrent boner through line of today's podcast. <laughs> um, you can also find me at ageofthenerd.com, of course. Uh, the Bear McCreary interview that Ayo. I mentioned in our Comic-Con podcast, if you guys haven't listened to it, 
Check out our Comic Con podcast. It's three hours of goodness. It is with Lauren Sperling, it is so one of our good friends from the con. But it's amazing. You can ma- you can take your time to go through it. It's okay. You're gonna love it no matter what. Just uh, skip to the end and listen to the Marvel <laughs> shit. <laughs> no, I would say there's stuff, some stuff in there like my Bear McCreary shout out that I have. You can check that out on AgeOfTheNerd.com right now. Exclusive inter- interview talking about um, Godzilla remaking the boys. God, I can't talk right now. The Blue Oyster Cult song Godzilla. Um, and then we're going to have the roundtable coming next week. But beyond that, you can find my work also on ScreenRant.com as well. Beautiful. Sorry, I... that was kind of a really big. That was a beautiful, beautiful. A little bit, a little bit. Sorry, that was terrible. You can find me on the internet at I'm the LA Nerd, Instagram and Twitter, and now YouTube. Yes. Once again, YouTube just presence. I'm the LA Nerd. I have done a Spider-Man Far From Home review a Walking Dead 193 surprise finale review, and just recently a Marvel Phase 4 San Diego Comic-Con Hall H recap video. Ayo, video. And that's about it. I'm just, I don't, I don't, look, man, you, you don't have to follow me on Twitter. I don't ever tweet. Instagram and Dude, YouTube. Follow Joel on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. You'll have a good time interacting with us. You won't, you, you won't regret it. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, no one, you guys still aren't comp. Look, man, I know you guys are listening. I can see the fucking numbers, dude. Seriously, and no one's commenting. Just say something. Just fucking seriously, type. Seriously, we have listeners on random San Diego trains going to Comic Con. Type, t- type, boobs into the comment so I know you guys are listening. Or email us boobs. That is oh, wow. the word boobs. Whoa, not a, <laughs> Whoa. The, the word boobs. Okay, come on, come that on. A, that is a formal request. Type boobs into the comment section, please. <laughs> That's a formal request. I can see you guys are listening. I can literally. We know you guys are out there. Come on, talk to us. We want to hear from you. I can see the analytics. They do not lie to me. It's okay. You won't regret it. I mean, you might, but that's okay. But you probably won't. All right, later, nerds. Peace.